0: Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes.
1: There really is no place like home.
0: And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hello, muskrats and mogwai. This is Tim Ferriss, and welcome to another episode of The Tim Ferriss Show, where it is my job typically to deconstruct world class performers of various types and various worlds to tease out the tactics and so on that you can use. By popular demand though, we are turning the tables, switching it up, mixing things about a bit and this episode is a conversation, sometimes a debate, a trading of ideas between Chase Jarvis, world famous photographer and yours truly. It really focuses on overall how to optimize creative output and uh, There is a URL mentioned, which is creativelive.com forward slash 30 days of genius, all spelled out creativelive.com and then forward slash three zero days of genius, where you can get Incredible videos from people like Richard Branson, Seth Gooden, Mark Cuban, Brene Brown, Jared Leto. It goes on and on and on. One video per day. That is always going to be there. But if you sign up, which you can do at that URL, there is a sign up for free button. You will see by Friday the 13th, that is May 13th, Friday, before midnight, PST, then you could win direct mentorship with yours truly, with Chase Jarvis, and three other incredible folks. The episode itself focuses, like I said, on creative output, and we touch on systems thinking. How to use the question, what would this look like if it were easy? We have, how can I set my quota lower so that I can feel like I'm winning, and using that as a precursor for winning. How to celebrate the small wins, even if you're not good at it. Lionel Richie anecdotes, can't do anything without that. Uh, Have we succeeded despite or because of type A personalities? We have a discussion on that and how it pairs up with meditation techniques and practical tactics for dealing with the real world and the edge that you might create for yourself. Absurdity is a synonym for creativity, and a lot of very nitty-gritty discussions about the struggles, the battle. Even at a high level, perhaps especially at a high level, you just trade up in the types of problems that you have. How do you contend with those? How do you balance achievement with appreciation? It goes on and on. So I hope you enjoy this episode, and the URL, again, not to miss, you should check it out, is creativelive.com forward slash 30 days of genius. And without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Chase Jarvis.
1: All right, buddy. Again, welcome to the show. See if we can not bodge that. And we're just going to hold each other for the rest of the show. So how are you? I'm well. Are you good? I'm doing great, man. I'm we're fantastic. in San Francisco, sunny San Francisco. It's 80 I degrees know. today. Uh, I'm wearing a sweater because we were wearing the same <laughs> outfit before we started. I end up with the same outfit as my guests all the time. Uh, um, how are you? You good? I'm fantastic.
0: Yeah, I'm really fantastic. The podcast is crushing. Uh, it's it's funny how that as a side project, as a sort of stress release valve turned into the main focus. The thing. Now. I mean, it was really intended just to be... A creative outlet, and uh, I remember kind of I was guest,
1: I was guest number either two or three. Yeah, three I was, he was I think, like, you yeah. pitched it
0: to me as an experiment, like yeah. this is going to be weird, it might be bad, it might be bad, quite probably will be <laughs> bad. But I was so burned out after doing the last book, The Four Hour Chef, I just wanted something different. And I also, along the lines of what Scott Adams, the creator of Dilbert, has talked about before, to focus on sort of systems thinking in his language, which is. Planning projects that, even if they are viewed as a failure by the outside world, give you skills or ne- a network, something that helps carry over to your next project. So for me, it was like, well, even if the podcast fails, I'll get better at asking questions, and I'll get be- bet I'll get better. <laughs> that's funny at eliminating verbal tics. I say as I sound like Porky Pig. <laughs> uh, work in progress, folks. But uh, yeah, it's it's just been a blast, and it's one of those rare cases where the thing that is now driving a lot of the creative ship for me. Is what I most enjoy doing. So Go figure.
1: Yeah, go figure. But th- is there a well? Not is there. I know the answer. The answer is yes. You engineered that, mm-hmm. but did you engineer it so carefully? Like, did you know it was going to be this perfect or this magical when you started, or did you just start?
0: Like, give us a little bit of your thought process. Oh, was like, was told it was baked the, in there. Is the answer? But I want. Yeah, it was. Told, it was not a disaster when it started. But if if, if you go back and listen, to, like episode one with Kevin Rose. Uh, I was nervous. You start with your friends. I start with my friends and I was still nervous. Yeah. (laughs) And I remember a couple things happened in that first interview. Number one... I was just, I was throwing out the questions that I would borrowed from other people I had seen interview. So one of them was like, if you could be a, a uh, breakfast cereal, what would you be? And Kevin's like, oh, it's going to be one of those interviews. And I'm like, uh, oh, stop shaving my balls. I'm already nervous. And then uh, I was nervous and drinking wine. And so when I flash forward like three quarters of the way through, I sound, and I was, completely drunk. So it's like right out of the gate, I embarrass myself. Well, this but is gin. This say. is gin. We should be very clear. But what what I did do is uh, interviewed or really just reached out to podcasters before starting to ask them a series of questions, which is what I do anytime I try to learn about anything, even if I don't launch, even if I make the decision to abort. And in this case, it became clear that almost everyone who launches a podcast quit after, say, three episodes. You look on iTunes, 300,000 podcasts, let's just say, and the vast majority of three episodes, and then they, they go silent. They go dead. And it's because people get overwhelmed with editing. So I made the decision to do long form, long conversations, next to no editing. And just that decision alone, I think, has allowed me to get to where I am in a, in a necessary but not sufficient manner. Like those, those small decisions that are made, and we were chatting about this before we started recording, but... In, re- in response to the question that I've been asking myself more and more, which is, what would this look like if it were easy? Like, yes, you can try to make it perfect over here, but that might mean that you quit after three attempts. So, like, what would it look like if it were easy? And part of the answer was next to no post-production. I love it. That, well, to, to uh, describe a parallel track, Chase Jarvis Live, this particular show is
1: five or six years old now, and the original 50 episodes were only in Seattle, 100-person live studio audience, live only, no pre-recorded. also the same long format. And it was hard. And even then, I'd made some decisions, some uh, aesthetic decisions, one of which was making it black and white. Primarily, that was uh, intentional so that it would be reductive and you're just focusing on the, the two people in the conversation. But then it was also like, oh, well, that saves all kinds of other... Uh, problems because we can use mixed light and natural light and, you know, artificial light and we don't have to solve for all this shit. So there's, I, I kind of tried to do it then. And this, what we're living right now, is an even easier version of that. Mm-hmm. And it's weird how when you take out these things that are the blockers, how you can steamroll through something.
0: And not only that, but what I've come to realize uh, maybe a little later in my life than I would have liked is that. You're like 26. What do you mean? Later That's true. In your 26. Life? <laughs> i doing a lot of roids. That explains the lost <laughs> hair, but uh, that's a joke, folks. Not a very funny one. But the uh, the point I was going to make is that I think for Type A personalities, I put us both in that bucket dangerously. Is it is easy as a default to assume that if you're if you don't feel like you're burning the candle at both ends, you're not doing a good job. And what I've realized is yes, there's a place for hard work if you've chosen the appropriate place to put it. However. If you're really focused on your unique abilities, right, and really just honing in on the things that you are best at, and it doesn't mean you're best in the world, but just of the things that you do, you are best at this small piece, It's not. it shouldn't feel really, really hard and forced, and I think that 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 leads some people who are really driven to veer away from what they're good at, to incorporate all this complexity that... Is comprised of things that they're mediocre at, or just so-so at. And I've just realized for myself, and the podcast is really the, was the wake-up call for me that it doesn't have to be so hard. Uh, and yes, there are times when you grind. Yes, there are times when, like, I'll batch record the podcast, which is another thing I do to make it sustainable. So I'll record, say, I record on Mondays and Fridays. Just decided as a policy, out. I'm going to record on Mondays and Fridays. And I'll do two or three on a Monday, two or three on a Friday. That's a month and a half of long-form interviews. And then I have the shorter ones. And all of that is intended to make it sustainable and consistent. And it allows me to focus on the pieces that I'm best at. Uh, whereas if, if I had made other decisions based on what the crowds were doing, right? And I was told this when I started blogging. Like, you have to blog at least a half a dozen times before noon, or nobody's going to pick up on your blog. It's not going to become huge. You have to Spank do this. Your it has to be <laughs> this length. It has to be this. It has to be that. And when you ask those folks for, like, for the evidence or any, any supporting data, you know, well, how do you know that? Even just that question. You don't have to be abrasive about it. Like, how do you know that? And they're like, because so and so, Bill, Bob, and Harry, and Jane told me that it was true. And it's like, oh, you realize just because something's been repeated that often doesn't make it true. And you find the same thing in like podcasting. You have to do this, have to do this, have to do this. And uh, just to give one example, since I'm all fired up on green tea, is the uh, audio quality. So, audio quality is important in so much as for 99% of the people listening, they're going to be in a subway, in a car cooking it has to be intelligible and it has to be loud enough and make it stereo uh, or rather mono so that you don't have like one person's voice in one ear and one person's voice in the other as long as you do that everybody except for audio engineers will be happy yeah, uh, so but true. but people will kill themselves who know nothing about audiovisual with like preamps and all of this gear and they'll become so overwhelmed none of which i use uh that they quit because they're like this is too complex for me what would this look like if it were simple, if it
1: were easy? So let's extrapolate just to some really concrete stuff. Like, what is the universal lesson? If it's if you simplify it, it's easy. But presumably there are folks out there who are writers and photographers and designers. And is there a, a maxim that transcends just make it easy? Uh,
0: well, there's. I think there are compatible maxims. If there's something to transcend it... Transcend uh, might not Am I good. making this hard? Am I making this harder than it needs to be? For instance, one of the best pieces of advice just to get out of podcasting and look at writing. Yeah. Which I find infinitely harder than podcasting, although... You're, we're doing... We're yeah. podcasting right we're now. Podcasting we're podcasting right now. I'm yeah. not even trying. Are you I trying? It's, I'm it's, not, it's not trying. Ridiculous. Although, I've t- I had so much mushrooms before we started. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. You did hours of prep for this. I, I did know. hours. Hours of prep. The the, the blank page. hmm is very intimidating for a lot of people. Uh, Unless they happen to be trained journalists who can churn out 1,500 words a day and have them be good, that's not me. Uh, But one of the best pieces of advice I got was from someone who told me this lesson in the context of IBM back in the day, when IBM was just the, the behemoth. It was 800 pound gorilla uh, across several different industries and their salespeople were known as being incredibly, incredibly effective. They smashed quotas. Now, how did they do that? One of the lessons that was taken away from IBM was that they they made the quotas really low. That's pretty odd. Why would they make the quotas low? Because they wanted the salespeople to not be intimidated to pick up the phone. They wanted to just build that sales momentum, and then people would overshoot their goals. Translated to writing, I was told at one point, your goal should be two crappy pages a day. That's it. If you hit two crappy pages, even if you never use them, you've succeeded for the day and alleviating that performance anxiety about putting down like 10 pages of good material, which inevitably I think you're going to fail at least once or twice a week, uh, allows you to overshoot that goal and continually succeed and sort of build that confidence and momentum. Um, so that, that would be an example of rigging the game so that you can win it. It applies to diet. It applies to exercise. It applies to writing. It applies to podcasting. Uh, how can I make this easy? How can I set, in a way, the goal lower, the objective smaller, um, so that I can feel like I'm winning. Because I feel like the feeling that you are winning is a precursor to winning on a very to, large scale. Yeah, to actually winning. The way I
1: talk around here is Creative Live, for example, has a ton of momentum right now. Yeah. It's like it's just growing. It's exceeding our expectations. I mean, we have very high expectations, but... You can't underestimate the power of momentum, and mm-hmm. two becomes four, four. I mean, just think about compounding interest. There's like you're leaning into it, and it's accelerating, and the uh, maybe even the accelerating law, a lot of accelerating returns. That's what I'm trying to think of. So, is that a? Um, I don't
0: know. Are you, do you apply it to every part of? Because you just touched on like writing, and all, like I do, I apply it to any type of behavioral change. And if you want to be more creative, you want to make more money, which is then has many different component behaviors okay if you want to sleep better uh longer deeper whatever it might be set of behaviors you need to change right uh so whenever i'm looking at behavioral modification i think bj fogg at stanford has done a lot of interesting writing in this in this department where if he's trying to get someone to floss it'll be like start with your front teeth it's like, don't worry about the whole mouth. He's just like, I want you to floss like you're, you have enough time to floss your front teeth it's before you go to eight bed. eight seconds. And eventually you just be like, wow, I'm such a loser. I can't believe I'm flossing my front teeth. I'll just floss my whole mouth. And Then you do it, and before you know it, boom, you're flossing your teeth, right? So, uh, but, but rigging it in some, such a way that you don't put it off, right? So, oh, you want to pick up an exercise habit. Five minutes on the treadmill. That's it. And it's like if you get in there and you're like, eh, I'm not feeling it. You want to it after six minutes? Great. You're done. You succeeded. You win. If you want to stay, you're feeling great, feeling a little froggy, as my uh, gymnastics coach currently would say. It's like great, then stay on for another 30 minutes. But like, understand, that's bonus points. You already won. And uh, I think another way, a very close corollary to that, for creatives, particularly people who are like, oh, I need to win, I want to be number one, I want to fill in the blank, like, I have no idea, aggressive goal. Of I know you, ha- I know you have none of <laughs> none of that hardwiring. Is celebrating the small wins. I think I've been very bad at that historically. Yeah, me too. And, uh, uh, my ex-girlfriend helped me develop a habit, which I think is a great habit. I have this jar and it sounds, it's going to sound super cheesy, but she labeled it the jar of awesome. And it's a big Mason jar. And it's just like when something really cool happened, you're not going to remember it like three months later and have that perspective to give you gratitude, it's like write it down on a little piece of paper like every night, like write down the things that were awesome that happened that day, however small they might be, fold it up, put it in the jar of awesome and then when you get into a funk, when you're feeling down, when you're feeling uncreative, whatever it might be, go through and read these pieces of paper, these little like self-made fortune cookies of goodness from this jar. It's, it's It's a really easy habit that I think allows you to not only be creative, but understand that most people, and I know this isn't exclusively focused on creativity, but why do people want to be creative? Because they want to do good work. Why do they want to do good work? Because this, this, this. Why? Because they want to feel good about themselves and be happy. It's like, well, you can give yourself small doses of that throughout the process. You don't have to postpone that reward that you think you're going to get at the end. Because guess what? If you don't celebrate the small things... You're not actually going to be very good at celebrating the big things either.
1: Yeah, there's—I uh, don't remember. It's come up in this series of talks. The the uh, somebody was talking about uh, was it? I think it was Neil Strauss talking about interviewing Lionel Richie. It's like Lionel Richie. He just had a—I mean—had an epic year. You know, it had to be like 1983 or something yeah. like that. <laughs> but it was an epic year. He won the Grammy. He sold a million albums. Blah blah blah. And it was like, he, he considered himself climbing his way to the top in the music industry. And when he got there, you know, when he told Neil, was up there fuck all. There's nothing up there. <laughs> there was no, it was just, there was no one else on the mountain. Yeah. And so it, it's just obviously the, the, you know, the takeaway is that it's, it really is the journey. It sounds trite, like you said, like a, a awesome jar or a jar of awesomeness. But if you can't actually celebrate your wins
0: along the way, what do you got? Yeah. And the anecdote that I, I still remember uh, to this day, and it just puts a lot in perspective which was from Thich Nhat Hanh. So this is a Buddhist monk who's nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize by Martin, Ling, uh, Martin Luther King Jr., a uh, Vietnamese Buddhist monk. And he's, he's, he's done quite a lot of writing. I think the first was Pieces Every Step or something like that, which was intended for internal use only. It was a guidebook to new monks who were attending his uh, retreat center or monastery in Vietnam. But the point being, the the anecdote that he talked about was thinking about this peach. So you really want this peach at the end of the day, and this is like your your reward for a hard day's work, whatever it is. But if you're, say, washing the dishes, and instead of being mindful, and I don't want to get too woo-wooing out there, but this, this does have a lot of practical applications, instead of like being present with washing the dishes and doing it in a very conscious way, you're thinking about the peach you're going to have afterwards. When you're eating the peach, you're not going to be able to enjoy the peach either. You're going to be thinking about, like, your inbox, or whatever the hell it is that you're going to do after the peach. And so it's like really honing that. And I actually owe you a debt of gratitude, and I've said this before, but for introducing me to transcendental meditation and getting me to bite the bullet with that. And there are many different types of mindfulness practice that work very well. I think things like Headspace are very helpful as apps. Yeah, and all great that. App. Calm, Headspace. Calm, also very good. Uh, but celebrating the small wins, and mindfulness is one of the constituent attributes that you can develop that helps a lot with that i love that i'm going to go to the meditation thing i think it's you you provided the
1: bridge now that you're a professional interview with the podcast and everything natural bridge so i'm going to take it uh one of the things that uh, i'll tell a short story here which is i don't remember where we were we were in seattle somewhere uh or maybe not but we were doing something and he said dude you're like you're killing it and you yeah, you seem really chill what's going on Mm-hmm. like what what's different or something different i was like oh wow that's interesting you said that i can't really think of oh actually come to think of what's different is i started meditating it by you know six months ago or something and i think you were like hmm are you okay i think you checked <laughs> my pulse you, re- you made sure that i was still alive and and then we sort of yeah i don't remember if we laughed about it or or were i just there was a a, a few minutes of introspection around what does that mean is it is it the thing that has got us to where we are um any amount of success that you could say either one of us has had is it because we're hardcore type a grinder like gonna not fail at any cost type of people or is that something that's actually been an anchor all along and right like you were worried We've about succeeded yeah, you,
0: despite it and not because of it.
1: yeah and you asked me like well don't get all soft on me, Jarvis. Do you feel like you did, are you losing your edge? Yeah, yeah. So talk to me about not. We'll get into meditation in particular in a second, but how about the mentality or the fear that some people who are um, hardcore or hard charging consider themselves that type of a person? Tell me, or the people who are listening and watching, how that's not the case, or how it wasn't the case for you, or how you sort of played through that.
0: This is this is something I, I haven't fully answered for myself. Uh, to be quite honest. And I was just having an exchange while well, I was talking on my podcast with Tara Brock about this, mm-hmm. who wrote a fantastic book called Radical Acceptance. Terrible title, great book uh, that I think is a very digestible and approachable presentation of how uh, you can implement a lot of what we're talking about. Uh, I feel like at the very, in the very worst case scenario, when I'm meditating consistently, and for me, tell me if this is true for you, but for me, let's just say I haven't been meditating at all. Whatever, I'm just being an idiot, or life intervenes, I'm just not meditating for like two weeks. It takes me about five to seven days for there to be like a phase shift. Like you meditate, I meditate consistently. And it's kind of like, eh, what am I doing? Okay. That session was eh, meh, meh, meh. And then you drop in and then you kind of shift gears and things become very, very different. Uh, When I get to that point, in a worst case scenario, I feel like I have half the anxiety and unnecessary stress in a very stoic sense, right? I mean, I talk about stoic philosophy a lot. I read tons of Seneca, Marcus Aurelius, et cetera, repeatedly. And so I'm not allowing external factors to provoke an Excessive emotional response. So like 50% less of all the negative manifestations of that. Stress, anxiety, da da da. Uh Tony Robbins, I remember, said at one point, he said, stressed is is sort of type A language for fear. <laughs> that's like <laughs> that's a pretty good one. Uh, and secondly, I'd say I would I get 80% as much done. That's a worst case scenario. So it's like yeah. a 50% decrease in all the negative. Yeah. And at least Eighty percent of what I usually get done. Uh, look, so that's at the low end. I yeah, The yeah. like worst try, case scenario. The tr- worst case scenario. Trying to look at it with slightly rose-colored glasses on, I would say that meditating allows helps me to be more effective, not just more efficient. So, meaning, much of what I do when I don't meditate, I think, is reactive, compulsive. Dodging of bullets Or putting out fires It's like okay great Maybe you cleared 50 additional email That day Were those email Important to clear At all in the first place Maybe not And I think that With meditation I'm able to Or mindfulness practice Just because meditation Is like a total brand It's got so much baggage We'll go there Yeah but It allows me to step back Where I'm like okay No longer am I on like The front lines In a trench Having like grenades Lobbed at me I'm actually, like, the general looking at the battlefield and, like, the map of the territory, being like, okay, let's make some, like, high-level decisions. Like, these guys shouldn't even be fighting over here. What the fuck are they doing over here? No. Like, all right, go over here. Call these guys out. We need more troops here. And objective-wise, we should be going after, like, this, this, this. Great. Everybody, deep breath, execute. Uh, So that's a bit of a winding answer, but I, I feel like especially at this point in my life, I, I do feel like I could have benefited tremendously from it previously. Yeah. Even if it were just for the, the benefit that I find myself less likely to engage in addictive behaviors like stimulants. So mm-hmm. I have always loved coffee. Uh, I mean, tea at the weakest, right? Uh, when I was an, uh, when I was a, uh, yeah, exactly. When I was a high school athlete, I got hooked on pre-workout supplements, you know, ephedrine, caffeine, aspirin, all that stuff. And I think I did a lot of physical damage to myself by taking that stuff consistently because it was sort of self-medicating, but also just really uh, put me on, like, level 11 to, you know, in spinal tap parlance. Yeah. But when I meditate... I don't need those things as much, nor do I want those things as much. Yeah. So I think it could have been very helpful just from a health standpoint if I had started earlier. Uh, and these days, you know, I'm 38, I feel like I wanna pick my shots. It's like I'm no longer the athlete I once was. I'm not gonna go out there like Joe Frazier and just like, throw hooks all day long. It's like, no, I wanna just, I wanna have very surgical strikes. And to do that, you need to, I think, have just that general level awareness and not be a foot soldier. Yeah, I just actually read
1: a great quote from Maya Angelou, something about creativity, and it, for some reason, this is a, is a tie into meditation, which is um, creativity is a an infinite resource. The more you spend, the more you have, mm-hmm. and I find that there's this sort of compounding thing. You, you alluded to it in your meditation sort of uh recount right there where it's just like it's compounding day one day two day three it's like three 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 and then all of a sudden it's four five six Mm -hmm. seven eight on a scale of one to ten um and i find that if i'm in it boy it's an accelerating sort of uh experience Uh, an effectiveness not efficiency Mm -hmm. for sure it is clarity the way jordan talks about basketball like he sees the game in slow motion that's what makes him different than Mm -hmm. the other players i think that's the one that i've used on why I think meditation is powerful, because I tend to see my life in slow motion Mm -hmm. as opposed to the hyper-caffeinated, like, got to run from here, and I'm late to this in five minutes, and how busy feels so powerful because you're always doing, and, Mm -hmm. oh, man, I'm
0: so awesome. Um, No, I agree. And the uh, the, uh, creativity being an asset that grows the more you use it, the more you spend, I think is a very interesting concept. And what I've been focusing on personally in the last, say... Three to six months really trying to focus on is uh, seeking out and creating the absurd. So I think that there's so much absurdity in life. And as adults, we've kind of inculcated ourselves to be very serious. We're so serious and mature. And I think that is kryptonite for creativity. I really think that like taking life and yourself too seriously... Oof is just, yeah, it's, dangerous. it's like waterboarding your creativity. It just, it, it absolutely nullifies or at least decreases it dramatically. So for me, I've been trying to not only seek out absurdity, which I think, quite frankly, is, is in many cases a synonym for creativity or creative. It's like just, if creativity is too nebulous, and like, people are like, I've read six books on creativity, I'm still not sure what the hell it means. It's like, go for absurd. Like, try to find the absurd and create the absurd. So, and you know, on that note, uh, you know, Kurt Vonnegut, one of my favorite writers, incredible, uh, I love the hilarious cradles. writer, yeah, also incredibly deep philosophical thinker. But it's embedded in this humor, like *Cat's Cradle*. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like no cat, no cradle. You know, it's just <laughs> like uh, that. Doing things kind of just for the hell of it. You know, for no good reason whatsoever, and making them ins- as absurd as possible. I have created some very interesting opportunities for myself, some very unexpected opportunities for myself, just by doing things on a lark and doing things uh, because they're absurd. Could be, could be. Can just you give a, us an example? Yeah, I'll give you an, I'll give you an example. So, the, on Instagram, like I try to put up uh, at least a handful of photos a week. That are just completely absurd with minimal explanation, just to see how the world responds. So it's like me testing out my my dog's new dog bed, you know, with like little to no explanation. Or like yesterday, putting up this photo of myself with these ridiculous things called sunstashes, which got sent to me. And it's like sunglasses with these little bunny ears with like a chain that hangs down with like <laughs> a bunny mouth over my mouth. So I took this photograph of myself with a Save Ferris shirt on holding a kitchen knife and a bottle of wine and just put that out there and I was like let's see what the world does with that <laughs> and um, how was it received it was received uh, I mean as to be expected with the internet like yeah. there are a lot of people who don't know how to take anything non-literally yeah which and I'm not sure how you would even take that literally uh it was great it was just like scratching my own itch to be absurd and just uh stir things up a bit and Can I mean, we use the word play Play, for sure. Yeah. And I, I think that another, and I know we're going all over the place fine, here, but I think that I've also revisited a lot of mythology in the last year or so. This is not, this we haven't talked about this, but for sure. uh, I've become fascinated by... Minotaurs talk, and shit? Or what do you mean? Not, not, uh, yeah, potentially minotaurs, yeah. but uh, a lot of animal-related, say, Native American mythology, Got looking it. at like the, the, the coyote and the raven. Or, like, Inktomi, or these different trickster gods. Uh, I mean, I used to be a D&D head in all Fairness Dungeons & Dragons, for those who, who, who have not played with the, the graph paper. The 20-sided die. <laughs> the 20-sided die. <laughs> 20-sided die. Oh, so good. I still have all of my... Nice. Uh, yeah, dodecahedrons and all that goodness. But go, Gray Elf. Anyway, the, the point being that there, I think that the, the masks people wear, and this is someone else's quote, but often tell us more about who they are than the truth. Right? Mm. And the stories that p- persist for hundreds or thousands of years can tell us, even though they're fiction, more about our sort of existential condition and humanity and human nature than any non fiction book written on the subject. Uh, and that's something I've been trying to explore. Like to discover truth through what people would consider non truth. Uh, in the form of mythologies, and uh, it 's specifically for me focusing on these kind of trickster prankster gods who are very they 're i mean very interesting characters uh, because they 're viewed on one hand as creators and on one hand destroyers, but they in many cases kind of walk the line between the this ordinary reality of human beings and this other world of the mythology uh, surrounding the gods and whatnot but there 's as is, is, is off the reservation as all of that sounds, I think there's a lot of truth to be gleaned by looking at stories that have just persisted for hundreds of thousands of years. And there's that's a, informed a lot of my behavior. Yeah, there's
1: a, there's a play component embedded in that for sure. Like it's mm-hmm. make-believe, or, and it made me, as you were talking, I reflected on my own life, and I have a list of ten habits that I do every day. And I put, there's actually two words that I put in one habit, and it's play or make. Hmm. And like I consider myself, where do you put that? I uh, I put it in an app called Habit List that oh. I track ten habits. It's not a free app, so you yeah. have to be prepared to pay a dollar ninety nine. <laughs> which I've literally have said, yeah, check out this app, and like, oh my god, it, it's it's a, it's dollar ninety nine. Like, literally, you paid twice as much for your coffee this yeah, morning. So right. get off your ass and fork up the $1.99 habit list. It's <laughs> a good one. So you put, now, make or play are those two separate habits? Or do you I put them have in one, one habit? Line? And that's the part that I think is interesting, is oh. we were talking about, like, creativity is sort of making something out of nothing and then you got to be careful not to take yourself too seriously and that le- led us into play what are some of your other
0: habits sorry <laughs> i'm holding back no, to this is protect great. this family program No, this, <laughs> this
1: is great I'll, I'll, I'll get to those in just a second let me <laughs> okay. put a bow on this point but the fact that play and make for me are interchangeable yeah um i look at making as a playful activity yeah. even though basically the only job i've ever had is as a professional creative mm-hmm. uh and you know, a reflection on uh, one of someone you introduced me to, Charlie, who used to work for you, helped uh, you launch the four hour work body. week for four hour body. Mm-hmm. Um, his book, Play It Away, which is about having, finding some relief in your day, 30 minutes to just go hit baseballs or take a walk or goof off, basically, mm-hmm. and how that stimulates creativity. So I put those on the same thing, on the same level, and if I make something, say this show, or I will take some time out and actually go take some pictures every day, that making or goofing off, Mm-hmm. I lump those in the same thing because it makes me a like better that. human. You want to know some other habits? I do. Uh, make sure to drink 64 ounces of water every day. 64 ounces. Which is not an incredible amount. It's just like. Eight glasses. Yeah, roughly eight glasses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Kelly Stretz got me salting that water, of course. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Kelly does that. Um, another one is eight hours in bed. I don't require eight hours of sleep. Um, of myself, mm-hmm. but generally there's a strong correlation with I'm, if I'm in bed. Bedtime am
0: g- sleeping, g- <laughs> it's weird how those go together, right? Like, um, yeah. I do the same thing with napping. Yeah. It's not na- it's not sleep for 20 minutes. It's lay down for 20 minutes because that, again, like rigging the game so you can win. It if you lay down, you're like, fuck, I need to get to sleep. I only have 20 minutes. Sleep, come on, sleep. Like you're never yeah. gonna get to sleep, and so. But if it's just like lay down, you're going to get 80% of the benefit if you just close your eyes and just relax for Mm -hmm. 20 minutes. Then you actually will oftentimes fall asleep. There you go. So that's my
1: eight hours in bed. Mm -hmm. Um, Eat clean. And clean, I have sort of an operative, uh, whatever clean is right now. Sometimes it's paleo. Sometimes it's just no fake foods, like nothing with preservatives or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I, is, you know, that I eat clean today, Mm -hmm. or it should be cleanly. Mm-hmm. But uh, what else, what other, I'm, I'm questioning what else is on my list here. Um, well, this isn't about me, It's you asked the question, you're now a professional interviewer as we This, this is, is about us. Meditation AM and meditation PM. So I give myself 20 minutes every morning and 20 minutes every evening. And I don't hold myself to the 20 minutes, that's why it just says meditate. Yeah. Sometimes when I come out of it and it's been 11 minutes, yeah. I allow myself to, I'll usually just sit there for another four or five. What time do you meditate at night? Uh, I try and meditate before dinner.
0: Okay. So I almost never meditate in the afternoon or evenings. Yeah. I just, I just kind of threw in the towel with that early on. But I do the mornings consistently. Yeah, morning, so before dinner.
1: Yeah, I try and, I, and uh, I track this behavior so I can tell you exactly what my percentage is for PM meditation. I'll do that right now. Uh, in the week of three twenty-seven in March, I was at fifty-seven percent of the time. Huh. So not all the time, right? Uh, versus the week of three thirteen, almost I was a passing Seventy-one percent. <laughs> yeah, I know. But again, the the point is that I don't. I set the habit to just yeah. do the thing. Yeah, and uh, let's see, I'll give you the rest of them. Zero to one glasses of red wine.
0: Zero to one—that's a lot of.
1: That's a lot of self-control, sir. It is, and I've been doing this basically since. I mean, I think you probably know me as someone who parties reasonably hard. I'm not afraid to drink ten drinks. Yeah. Uh, and starting in January first, I just said, you know what? I'm. I'm, I'm, I'm in the I did the January wagon. Basically, didn't drink anything in January. Felt amazing, and my sleep was completely transformed. I was sleeping in a really different and much deeper way. Uh, and then January or February, I said, "Okay, well, I'll just have a couple drinks here and there." And now I'm, I've been on this thing, and I love it. So I, I'm probably drinking
0: 90 percent less. See, uh, so if I, I I don't do moderation very well. Some mm-hmm. other binary on or off. So I haven't done any booze this month at all. No. Nice. And. Uh, yeah, I have. I'm. I, I have to eliminate. I'm not very good at moderating. Well, we'll go have a drink after this. <laughs> go visualizing stiff gratitude. Stiff kombucha.
1: Visualizing gratitude. Uh, I already said player make, and move my body.
0: Hmm.
1: How do you? How does gratitude manifest? Uh, immediately following my morning meditation, I and I put those things. I put gratitude and. Um, what, what, visualizing gratitude. So I visualize some of the things that I want to happen in my day and in my life, mm-hmm. and I usually do that immediately after. So when I'm coming out of meditation, I look. Okay, great, I got you know my 20 minutes. Uh, what are, what are some things I want to manifest? And these are just pictures that I, I think in pictures as mm-hmm. most people do, and I just picture some of the things having ha- in the process of happening mm-hmm. that I want. Whether it's uh, a great interview with Tim Ferriss, I picture us sitting here laughing, talking. Oh, this is so great. We love it. And and then I'll you know picture some success with Creative Live or some sex some su- <laughs> that was a t- <laughs> oh, yes. <Important> some success <laughs> with my wife Kate um, but I'll just you know whether it's um, personal or professional like what are some things I want to have happen and then I'm like ah oh, that was awesome what are some things I'm grateful for and it's usually a little bit of a reflection on what I just yeah. wanted to have man I'm really thankful for all the things that Kate's taught me in my life mm-hmm. or I'm you know I got a, a elderly cat Dexter. Every, you know, he's on his last, he's in a sort of end-of-life horizon. I'm, like, really grateful for every day hanging out with Dexter if I'm at home. And that guy's, he's done a lot for me. And five or ten things. And I mm-hmm. I sometimes write those down. Sometimes just say them to myself depending on how, what kind of time I've got.
0: There you go. Yeah, I have a similar routine. I mean, in the morning with. The-
1: Give me the Tim Ferriss morning routine.
0: Uh, all right. I'll, Bullet I'll, points. I'll, I'll bang through it. So wake up. Uh, I have, this is my current morning routine. So wake up, have the supplements that generally are absorbed on an empty stomach, better than not. Uh, feed the dog with some sardine oil on top of kibble. Molly. Me, Molly. Awesome. Uh, she's so precious. She's great. Uh, she's getting big. And then sit down, meditate for 20 minutes. Usually mm. it for 21 minutes because I want to have 20 minutes, but I usually fidget and like fuss with my legs and kind of crack my back and so on for the first minute. Uh, then I'll have like a kind of three minute decompress after that, where I just focus on the sounds and so on around me. Get up, uh, set tea at, I have a Breville uh, tea, I guess, a tea maker of sorts, 185 degrees. Then I will make tea with generally pu'er or oolong tea, plus turmeric and ginger. Uh, I will sit down with that Put some coconut oil Usually two tablespoons of coconut oil Which is about 60-65% to 65% medium chain triglycerides For some nice ketones to the brain just Keep in mind I haven't really had breakfast yet uh, Sometimes I'll have a whey protein When I first wake up If I'm training that day Or if I just train the night before Then sit down with something called Five minute journal or morning pages And I'll get the one. gratitude points A few things that I'm grateful for that day uh, being sure to pick one that is a very small thing. And I picked this up from Tony Robbins, which is like the cloud outside my window right now or like the cup of tea or something very small so that they're not all large things. And yeah. Again, coming back to the celebrating yeah. little wins. And uh, that will help me also prioritize for the day or just get my thoughts on paper so that the monkey mind isn't rattling around in its cage yeah. all day long. I can actually get something done. Uh, then I will usually do some type of gymnastic warm-up just for the joints really a few minutes of like scapular circles wrist stretches a handful of like maybe planche leans and uh, they're called cat camels if those people who want to look this kind of stuff up and some rotational stuff and then I'm off to the races and, uh, very how, often, long does, how long does that take for you? Because people are uh, like, oh shit, I've got three kids There's, This is totally undoable Yeah, wake up earlier Wake up earlier, that's the I I mean, I look, say. it's, it's like, just like, I am a lazy bastard I, and look in, in, to state the obvious I'm in a very fortunate position where I can uh, I have a lot of flexibility in my schedule But it's like, you look at the, the person who wrote The Kite Runner, alright Khalid Husseini I think his name is Full-time doctor, brutal schedule He woke up an hour earlier And he put pen to paper for like 45 minutes every morning, and he wrote a book that turned into a massive, iconic bestseller. And a movie and and everything else. Like, you make the time. You're not going to find the time. You make the time. And I should also say, it's like I know people with three, four, five kids, like Leo Babauta, Zen Habits. I know people who have, like, real jobs, people in finance, people who have, like, nine to five, uh, you know, non-managerial, entrepreneurial CEO jobs who make it work really, really, really well. Uh, and you have to make time. And I think that, I don't remember the, I think it was, uh, I might be getting W.H. Auden, A-U-D-E-N. I want to say this is the quote, the right attribution, but like the routine uh like for, in the intelligent man, routine is a sign of ambition or something like that. And Of course, it applies to men and women. They're like, routine will save you. It's like if you're trying to reinvent the wheel and reorder things every morning. You're dead in the water. Yeah. It's not going to work, especially with kids. Oh, as a creative, I used to fight any system, like, oh, it's just meant to keep me yeah. down. And then you yeah. realize that it actually makes your life that oh, it's much like, better. No, have yeah. a recipe. Yeah. So it's like, that's yeah. why when you ask me like, what my morning routine is, I'm like, this is exactly, yeah. this is the algorithm, right? What's an algorithm? We use this word a lot now. Like, journalists use it a lot. Like, what the fuck? What is an algorithm? Algorithm is, and computer scientists, you can rip me apart here, but it's, it's a series of steps intended to produce a replicable result, Right? and it's a recipe in effect and it's like you need that in your routine yeah. for like my evening routine I have the same, I mean same thing it's like locked down I have a very particular evening routine it's like my my hot bath with epsom salts with Ice bath alternator. This is gonna sound weird, but I've been in your bath. That it does sound weird, but yes, <laughs> it, it fits a few people. It's not yeah, like it's we're, not a one person. We're <laughs> not laying on top of each other in a standard issue bathtub, and gazing no, yeah, into each other's a, eyes. You have an awesome tub. It's great. The rose petals were nice. Yeah, I know rose petals. <laughs> uh, uh, love yeah, it. routine will save you. The crazier you are, the more neurotic you are. The more important routine is. Speaking as someone who I think is both of those things, me. No, 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 me, me, me. You too. You just keep yeah, it. On, you keep sure. it under wraps better I than I do. A little bit better. <laughs> so, uh, evening
1: routine. Of, without going into the detail, I just think it's interesting. Um, you know, spent some time with Arianna Huffington. She's a really a huge sleep advocate. And mm-hmm. the sort of end of day routine. How mm-hmm. powerful that is. And she does the same thing. You take a bath and turn down all screens. Hide those things thirty minutes before you need to go to bed. Mm-hmm. Um, I recently did a little video that's not out yet, but about I. Like eye mask, earplugs, stuff like that. Yeah, I'm amazing. not a good sleeper. It's a game changer. And less drinking for me has been a really powerful thing. Mm-hmm. Any, what couple, of, sprinkle a couple things.
0: Uh, yeah, out. other tweaks that I find helpful. Oh, I left make my bed out of the morning routine. Mm-hmm. I always make my bed in the morning. That was, uh, I got that from some former Navy SEAL commanders, as well as, I think it's Don Dandapani, former monk. It's it really sets the day off on the right foot. Yeah, it you seems weird. A little thing, it's and then like it it's like a minute. I don't like tuck it. It's not four seasons, like, but <laughs> I have a large blanket that kind of covers the whole thing. It makes it look fine. But at night, and I bring it up because the night triggers thinking of the made bed because when you come back in, if you've had a difficult day, you come back in and like your bedrooms just can complete disarray. I find that psychologically uh, unsettling. It's just yeah. It, it's, it's not a good bookend to your day. Versus you come into a space yeah. that's... Yeah. So a couple of things. I have, uh, I think it's called the, the DOM, D-O-H-M, I want to say it's the spelling, white noise machine that is very, very... And if you search sound machine in my name, it'll probably pop up, but I don't make it. <laughs> but uh, it's a small device about yay large, and you can you can adjust the airflow. And it just provides a consistent background noise for mm. sleeping. Um, That's not so much my routine as the sleep setup. I also have a sleep mask. I think it's called the Sleep Master. (laughs) Cheesy name, but it wraps over the ears as opposed to behind, like on top of the ears, which I find very uncomfortable. And it has Velcro, and it also basically buffers sound additionally. I have these disposable, which I tend to reuse at least a couple times, 3M construction earplugs. The orange ones? Uh, or yeah, go, orange yeah. or yellow yeah. yeah they're really, really same That's what they're what I great. Just, they're powerful little They're really powerful. And uh, in terms of r- evening routine, I'll just throw out two things. So the first is uh, definitely less screen time. and if you're gonna use screen, uh laptop let's say and then you use an app like flux which will change the wavelength of light that is emitted from your screen so that it's Matt not- you use that don't you Matt's behind sure. the camera right there. Yeah, you're like yeah. Flux you know? yeah, He's flux like, is- what's this
1: orange screen? You're yeah, like, oh yeah, yeah.
0: Flux. So yeah, tip for people who like CEOs, uh don't let your designers work on stuff if they're using flux past a certain hour, because the colors will be fuked. <laughs> um, this has happened to a number of people I know, but uh, great app. And then the uh, the two pieces I would say is hot bath with Epsom salt is just a must have for me, and I will very often listen to pod- every night, Tim. Yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah. If I'm at home every night, and I, I will usually sit down and listen to a podcast or an audiobook uh and uh i'll listen to hardcore history i'll listen to here's the thing with Alec baldwin short uh or i'll listen to any number of audiobooks now the uh, so let's talk about the content of the audiobook or tv show uh or book here's where i'm going i find it for me i have experienced lifelong onset insomnia and this seems to be hereditary and males in my family almost all have onset insomnia it's meaning they won't necessarily wake up in the middle of the night, but it takes them forever, me included, to get to sleep. Typically because I'm running through the things I didn't do, the things I'm going to do tomorrow, the the problems I'd like to solve, the creative stuff I'd like to figure out, and I just can't turn off those hamster wheels. They're just constantly going. The way you turn those off is not by reading, say, a business book before you go to bed. That's oh going to make this just going to pour gasoline on the yeah. fire. Uh, the way that I can hijack that process and enable myself to sleep is by focusing on fiction. So watching, say, a great TV series that I just finished binge-watching, which is Black Mirror. It's a little dark. Maybe not the best pre-bed yeah. stuff for everybody. But Black Mirror or uh, a book like uh, The Baron in the Trees, which is a short story by Italo Calvino about this young boy who gets in a huge argument with his father and goes up into the trees and never comes down for the rest of his life. Uh, and it's, it's a great fiction book, and it will pull you into this sort of surreal space of uh, storytelling that temporarily disables this problem-solving apparatus, and then I find it easier to get to sleep. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of sleep,
1: and you said it a couple times, I I put a thumbtack in it a while ago, and I want to come back to it now, which is, the voice is in your head. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they never stop. They never stop. Okay, but let's let's talk about controlling them for a little bit because you know Brene Brown is a mutual friend of both of ours. Uh, talks about them as the gremlins. Uh, Ariana, who I already mentioned, talks about that um, annoying. Is it annoying? What's the roommate? What does she say? Obnoxious roommate that's always sort of back there. Um, and I think for both, you know, I find it, it almost a universal. People are at one end of the spectrum, high performers. Uh, high degree of self confidence, maybe even actualized. They're like, that's just beating them up all the time. And on the other end, people who don't cons- you know, have low self esteem, they're like, you're not good enough, you're not this, you're not that. And it's weird how we're all on this together because, mm-hmm. it, regardless of your where you are in your human journey, there's this voice inside of so many people's heads. Mm-hmm. I found that really interesting, and and it go, it does in part parlay into that the meditation con- conversation we already had, but. You undoubtedly have voices in your head, and the reason I'm bringing this up because the people at home, Tim is so successful. He's got it made. He's got all these number one New York Times bestsellers. He's got millions of people that pay attention to him. He, you know, we love his podcast. I can't believe that he has voices in his head, too. <laughs> uh, sorry. It's funny, but it's
0: true. Uh, and no, my, the voices in my head just told me this great joke. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I... I struggle a lot. I think that it's part of the human condition. And uh, if, if people want a real snapshot of what like, a day of, say, a bottom looks like for me, well, there are two posts. Well, uh, one is called, if you search for anything along these lines, it'll pop up, but Productivity Hacks for the Neurotic, Manic, Depressive, and Crazy, and then in parentheses, Like Me. Uh, that gives a pretty good snapshot. Uh, and then there's another one, which is it's going to sound very morbid, but I think it's just practical thoughts on suicide, and it has a very dark story from my past. That I and I think that blog post is arguably, for me at least, the most meaningful and important thing that I've ever written. Period. Uh, so I've had some very deep struggles. So, but but we can separate between like the deep, dark, downward spiral, uh, set of voices in the head. Uh, which is like an angry mob that chases you down and like corners you in an alley. And that's one type. But then there's the obnoxious roommate yeah. who's just like tapping you on the shoulder while you're, you're trying to enough. do anything yeah. and uh, who's, who's telling you that you're, you're, not, you're not trying hard enough. You're not thinking yeah. big enough. You're not doing this. You're not doing that. You're not doing this. You're not doing that. Now, it's not always... A negative thing, right? So I think that the ego, for instance, and I, I don't want to get too esoteric, but it's like, oh, ego's bad, ego's bad. I'm like, well, I'm not convinced it's 100% bad. I think that the dose makes the poison, and that uh, having some type of drive, and we're primates, you can read Chimpanzee Politics if you want a real look into this. It's a great book. A lot of politicians read it, I'm not kidding, uh, to like mm-hmm. learn how to navigate the Senate and Congress and stuff, but the uh, the the way that we function in the world is positionally. Right? So if you look at like positional economics, we're constantly comparing and contrasting. So to some extent, you're always going to have that voice in your head. You know, I mean, even if I'm sure, and they might not admit it, but if we were to track down like the best known uh, Zen slash Buddhist slash mindfulness teachers, like I'm sure part of them is like, God. Just Gary is like, like 10% better. Oh, Rinpoche me. is so much better at meditating than me. <laughs> God, that guy. Look at his yeah. robe. It's so clean and orange or whatever. We all have it. Yeah. And so I think that uh, one refrain that I've been saying to myself, <laughs> very literally, to my own obnoxious roommate is because I think there's like the observer, there's like me, then there's the obnoxious roommate if that makes yeah, sense. Fair. I mean, you, you, we could talk about the id and all this stuff. Waking Up by Sam Harris is actually a great book that delves into some of this and I'm, uh, I'm not saying what I am saying is reflective of, of Sam's writing. But, what what I have tried not to do is what I would call retreating into story. And retreating into story, for me, is I do something, let's let's think of a, of a good example. Uh, not known for my patience. I'm a pretty impatient guy. I like, like, I'm, I'm very, very aggressive. The trains run on time. Yeah, trains run on time. Like, on time means on time. It does not mean five minutes late. Like, on time is late. You know, I'm like one of those stern dad types with myself and with other people. And so let's say that someone doesn't meet my expectations, and I've hired them or contracted them, and I don't fly off the handle, but I have a very curt, abrasive Conversation or send off this missive via email that is just clearly twenty percent unnecessary prickliness, and then it turn then like their feelings get hurt or they come out throwing haymaker like counter punches and I'm just like, God, I always do this. Okay, and then I retreat into story and it's like I oh I always do this. Remember the time I did this and did that. I'm I am this. I am that. Like that is a point for me to pause. Like. I always, or I am, is I've learned to kind of time out. That's a trigger for you to go, okay. As, as much as possible, and I'm not perfect, but I'll be like, wait a second. Like, am I retreating into my story? Am I, like, taking that old record off the shelf that is, like, Tim's pessimism regarding, you know, <laughs> self-image and anger. And it's, like, putting that on and just, like... Rocking out to yeah. that, it's like no, 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 no. You can choose the record. Like no, no, no. Put that record back. And like if you're getting, I remember some, I, I read this. It's like if you're, if you're pissed off. Like rather than saying like oh I'm pissed off, it's like no, you're doing pissed off. What is you're pissed playing off? pissed off? You're yeah. playing. You're playing yeah. the role of pissed off. And uh, retreating into story could also be like oh my god, so and so. They always blah blah blah. And I was listening in my bath. Um, and this isn't quite nonfiction, but it was this uh, this rec- old recording by Wayne Dyer. <laughs> and he said... Wayne's uh, awesome. Yeah, it's just an uh, incredible delivery also. And one of the things, the things he said, I think it was like no limit, be- becoming a no limit person. It's kind of like a cheesy old recording, but I like those cheesy old recordings sometimes. And he talked about, in effect, like people behave the way you teach them to behave. People treat you the way you train them to treat you. And so taking the step back um, and using like the I always, I am, they always, they are is just an oper- as a cue to help me to pause and be like, well, wait a second. Their reactions are outside of my control, but what can I do to train myself or them to minimize this stress that I'm experiencing? But yeah, the voices, I mean, uh, look, yeah. I-, I think, I think the, the, to, to come back to the original question, though, that I struggle as much as the next person, but i 'm trending in the right direction at getting better at not necessarily eliminating those voices but recognizing them as the obnoxious roommate
1: i don 't think those voices ever go maybe if you 're a monk, yeah. they go away, but just being able to have a set of tools yeah. and that 's really what i 'm trying to tap into here for the folks who are listening or watching is like. Hey, you're not alone. These things yep. happen to even wildly successful people. Totally. And, uh, and here's a toolkit to not solve all your problems, but to get you moving in the right direction. Uh, it's, it's, it's very helpful. Sweet. Now, I want to talk about... We, we've talked before about various books... We're not going to talk about your books. So we're going to talk about okay. your podcast, I'm actually. I'm talking about my books. As, as <laughs> someone, you, you you mentioned just sitting on the front lines of Ryan's book. Uh, and you said the front lines a couple of different times on a couple of different things. Uh, I got to sit front lines on uh, your podcast. It was one of your original like early guests, as we talked about. Kevin was your first guinea pig. I might have been your second or your
0: third. Yep.
1: Uh, you, you've become really good at it. Are you having fun?
0: Thank you. I'm having a blast. I'm having a really great time and uh, there there are many points at which that is an engineering decision uh because complexity will invite itself to your table every week but you could do this you could try this and there are five people out of a million who are complaining very loudly about this and you could do this and like there's so many temptations uh as i think i'm probably a uh what is it like a maximizer and not a satisficer? I think it is in the Paradox of Choice. is another book. Uh, I- I'm a perfectionist, and so my inclination is to be like, well, I know like no one else is going to notice, but I'm going to notice, and so I want to put in like the last two percent. It's ninety-eight percent there, but the last two percent, and that's going to require another ten hours a week. That's my inclination, and I've there. There's a place in the time for that, but it's it's less and less compelling to me Uh, so the the enjoyment almost always if i do the podcast and i find myself for whatever reason a little down or lacking in energy related to it that's a problem and i i call an audible sit down i'm like all right what is causing me stress right now what's going on and it's like if it's sponsorships it's like okay well like i'm happy to lose half of the sponsors just like change the terms if there's a term in our agreements that's causing problems change it and if they're like, we're going to walk, it's like, okay. <laughs> and the, you know, the general rule in negotiating is like, he who cares the least wins. And so, or she, right? But um, so it's like, okay, then walk. And they're like, uh, oh, shit, just call their bluff. Like, okay, we'll take your turn. Uh, or if it's the programming or you know, the scheduling, it's like, all right, well, maybe I'll use uh, some type of meeting software. Um, like, I think there is... Uh, schedule once or something like that where people pick their own blocks that you could use to simplify the the guest recruitment process. Maybe it's like, well, you know, we're constantly answering the same questions and, like, that's becoming a huge drag on time. Let's put together, like, a guest FAQ. prep sheet. Yeah, exactly, like a FAQ. I didn't send you yours, by the way. I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> you didn't that's have okay. to prepare. That's okay. Uh, and it's, so it has been a lot of fun. But to, to make it, to allow it to continue to be fun as it grows requires some architecting. Fair. Yeah.
1: Let's talk about your specific some of your favorite questions. You've had some great guests. i Don't you just drop a couple of your favorite guests?
0: Uh yeah. You know, so. Do you want to? Do you not want to do that? No, I'll totally do it. Face. Like okay. the Tim the Tim Ferriss show's been uh, a work in progress, and uh, part of what keeps it fun for me is having a wide spectrum. Right. So. For sure. Like, Jamie Foxx as an entertainer is. The guys. Just Hilarious. Amazing. Hilarious. I mean, so incredible. So we did that episode in his sound studio at home with like impromptu music and imitations and impersonations was just incredible. Uh, you know, f- all the way to the opposite end, and this is an episode that actually has not come out yet, but did an interview with BJ Miller, who's, so I like doing interviews with people that the audience will almost certainly not know. Yeah. You know, like I did one with Patrick Arnold, who's like the world's most famous black market drug designer barry bonds marion jones like he was the guy uh and bj miller is a triple amputee who runs the san francisco hospice project or the zen hospice project excuse me based in san francisco and he's helped roughly a thousand people die and he's he's a a young dude but he's gone through some just incredible trauma himself he's electrocuted at princeton actually Uh, in an accident lost three limbs and that interview is deep and there's just there's a lot to be gleaned from it Uh, so so that would be one that I really enjoyed. And I'm just naming a few along the spectrum. Right? My favorite the, thing about it is uh, there's a philosophy that's the
1: same as mine. Some people really fancy and famous that you can like, oh, what's it like to be that? That's sort of weird people that everybody knows. Yeah, yeah. And then people that no one would know, but you like, I know you're going to find this person fucking fascinating. Yeah, 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 exactly.
0: So it's like you have like the Arnold Schwarzenegger. Right? Everybody's going to yeah. know Arnold. Uh, but <laughs> what do you mean? Hopefully I get some <laughs> stories out of him that people haven't heard, which which was the case. But then you'll have somebody who say... Very well-known in a tiny subset, not tiny, I mean, he's well-known anyway, but like Kevin Kelly, who's extremely well-respected in the tech world, an incredibly gifted writer, has an Amish beard, an incredible family. Like, I really look up to him because he's not only, he's designed an incredible life for himself, and he's one of the most astute, accurate technology predictors and forecasters, like as a futurist. I've ever seen any, I, seen anywhere. And I'm in Silicon Valley. There are very few people. Like maybe Ray Kurzweil in a number of capacities. Kevin Kelly's right up there. And, uh, so I think he's the world's most interesting man. I like the real, the real version. So I did, you know, two or three part series with him. Wow. Um, Derek, you know, Derek Sivers, another one, like the philosopher king of kind of PHP programming, although he did a bunch of Ruby on Rails stuff, who built up CD Baby, sold it, gave it all to a music, Uh, charitable trust for music education and then disappeared and now lives in the middle of nowhere in New Zealand. It's like, okay, let's let's talk to Derek, one of my most popular episodes to date. And what's been really reassuring to me or life-affirming is that those episodes, like, there's still a place, if you put out good content, like, good art, good craft, good work is the best SEO in the world. Like, it still works. It People are like, oh, it's too crowded. There are too many podcasts. There are too many of this, too many photographers, too many. There's still a place if you put out really good work. And I'm not I'm not putting this all on me, but it's like when I have a guest who really performs. I mean, meaning they just like deliver super detailed, tactical stories, anecdotes, routines, things that my listeners can use. It's like a Derek Sivers or somebody who has zero, next to no recogni- recognition compared to, say, Jamie Foxx can do as well it's nuts in terms of the downloads and the listens like that stuff spreads and uh that's another thing that's just made me excited again to get back in the game of kind of creating some type of 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 editorial or work is that that. to see like there's still there's still a place like i was told when i started podcasting whatever it was a year and a half i think it was actually i don't know one to two years ago ah it's too crowded it's done no you can't it's too late And you're going to hear that all the time. When you do anything, anything I want to do this. Oh, it's too late. That's too late. That that ship has sailed. And it's like, no. You just have to be different and you have to be better. In some capacity, if you do that and you stick with it and you screw up like I did in the beginning, you get too drunk on multiple occasions (laughs) in like your first three episodes because you're so nervous and it's super sloppy and people are like, dude, it sounds like your wine bottle has a separate mic on it. Like, tone it down. (laughs) Uh, And you keep it fun for yourself, like make it fun for you and you will find an audience has been the other thing I've learned. Like if I want to throw like chimpanzee screeches in the middle of a podcast as a transition just to see what the hell people do, you know, going after the absurd again, like this one listener actually said she freaked out. She was in a retail store and she took her bag and threw it across the, (laughs) across the store because it was so loud. Still working on my levels. Um, It's like, I can do that. You know, if I want to make, like, weird mogwai noises in the beginning of an intro. What is a mogwai noise? Mogwai is like... <laughs> you know, gremlins. But yeah, the yeah, gremlins yeah. are the yeah. bad guys. The mogwai right. the, are the, the good the, guys. The, the so, like, gizmo. Yeah, yeah, gizmo. Gizmo noises. Uh, then I can do that. And it's just, like, it, it's, it's giving me such a sense of freedom. Because yeah. with the books, and uh, maybe you feel this way, maybe you don't, but, like, oh, I, I have that. so much oh. work out there as a writer... Number one, I've developed like tropes or tricks or frameworks that I've become a little reliant on as crutches. They, they work really well. Like I know how to get people to pull through a chapter and enjoy it with stories, even if there's dense material. But like I feel like I'm getting a little stale, which is why I'm doing a writing workshop this summer, in fact, as a student. But the podcast is, is such a different element. It's like, okay, well, you've been a skier, but like now you're going to be a swimmer or you're going to be an yogi. Okay, now you can start f- with beginner eyes again and fuck around. Yeah. Sorry, I'm dropping the F-bomb a lot No, but bring Long it. Long Island, Long bring Island, Island. Bring sorry. it, sorry. And, and that freedom and the, to play, to make, to experiment, then infuses everything else that has kind of grown stale or less interesting to you. So it's like now my writing is more playful it's great man I, I'm having a lot of fun with the podcast
1: those things are connected by the way like the amount Super of enjoyment connected. and play that you're having is, is a correlation For at least for me and many people I know to, to great work totally um, so one of the things you said is great stories that maybe they haven't heard on some other podcast version of them so tell us a story here that is that you really haven't Told somewhere else. It doesn't have to be.
0: It doesn't have to <laughs> well, be horrible. I don't know. Well, it's like I tell you what, I'm gonna. I'm gonna ask you a refining question related to that while I answer your other question about questions that I ask on my podcast. Great. So I'll give a couple of. So other these questions. were gonna be. Two, these were two distinct things in yeah. my mind. We'll let them. Be. No, no, no. I'm going to because I'm gonna buy you time The question I'd like to ask is what type of story? Give me like some. Yeah, yeah. Some, some creative constraints. Some categories. I mean, sure. Creative constraints. Sure. So questions. Some of the questions I like to ask on the podcast while while you're just stating on that are. If you could have a billboard anywhere, what would you put on it? And I'm sure I borrowed this from somebody else. Like, I'm not making all these things up. Oh, no, for sure. We uh, we're all what what advice would you give your 20-year-old self, 30-year-old self, say, 40-year-old self? But but not just the refinement I made to that, which I think is important, is place us somewhere. Like, where were you? What were you doing? And then give me the advice. Because it's so contextually dependent. Uh, There are some other ones that are hit or miss that I borrowed from, say, like Peter Thiel, you know, roughly. Like, what do you believe that other people think is crazy? That's his, like, classic interview Interview question. Interview question, right? Uh, And uh, so I borrow from many, many different places. When you think of the word success, who's the first person who comes to mind and why? Right? That's... That's, these are some standard questions. What book have you gifted the most to other people? So that's that's a question I came. Up with. I'm glad you didn't have many of these questions formulated when I was on your show. Yeah. a lot of those. Are hard. <laughs> they're hard. They're, they're hard. They're hard. Some of them are some of them are hard. Uh, and the gifted is important because if you ask someone what is their favorite book or favorite books, there's a primacy and recency effect, meaning they'll tend to remember the most yep. recent books they read, and they'll, especially if they're caught on their heels, they'll just pick something that they read in the last year or two. Whereas if yeah. you ask, like, what book have you gifted the most to other people, usually it's an extremely short list of, like, two to four books that are their go-to gift books. So those are a few. Uh,
1: so stories I haven't told. Stories you haven't told. Tell me a story you haven't told about a struggle with writing. Because I feel like there's a lot of glamour. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just continuing to name-drop other people here uh, Brene Brown talks about gold-plated grit, like, oh, there was this time, shit got so hard, it was so real, but then I made it through, and everything is awesome, they go back to the awesome story again, and so you just like, it's like, oh, I'm so vulnerable for like a quarter of a second, and then I go back to, so I I, I believe that people think of you first and foremost as an author in the sort of the guinea pig way that you framed yourself, but clearly you've had a lot of hardship in there, and so talk to us about uh, something that people wouldn't know yeah. about that time period that might
0: reveal something <laughs> ab- about you. Oh, God. Uh, there's a story that comes to mind. I'm not sure what it reveals would be very good. <laughs> uh, no, I'm not looking for good. I'm looking this for is, this. This might be the closest I've come to, like double leg drop kicking someone (laughs) Uh, I just pictured that in the last like like, Lucha Libre style yeah in the last few years Uh, so this was probably 2011 because this was just like I felt like I was at the breaking point like really physically mentally emotionally just at the breaking point I was at the last like thirty percent of the Four Hour Chef. It's like a seven hundred page book. It's a monstrous book. That was nice. Uh, thousands of photographs, which, hundreds uh, of original illustrations. You, like, you did that class, The Four Hour Life,
1: but yeah. it was really in the in the launch of the Four Hour Chef, Chef that's on right. Creative Live. We yeah. should link to that somewhere around
0: here. Yeah, yeah. It was it was a really difficult time for me. It was a very complex project. It was a three year project, in effect, that had been compressed down to a year and a half. And I'm very happy with how it came out. Uh, we pulled it off, but uh, there were some really big hiccups along the way. And one of the biggest challenges was publishing is still very uh, archaic in a way. There's, there aren't, there are not fantastic digital tools for providing fast edits to really complex layouts. I know there are some options for like website review and things like that, but it's it, it's a. It's too labor intensive compared to, say, pen and ink on paper uh, if you're going to be making hundreds of edits, like line edits and whatnot. So, what would happen is I would get shipped these printouts, or they would get actually, we would print them out in San Francisco or wherever I happen to be, these two page spreads. And then I would go through and I would hand edit, ooh, like make hundreds of hand edits, copy it, because you do not want one single point of failure with uh, one copy send it back. They would then incorporate those changes into the InDesign doc oh. and then repeat the process. Now, uh, I had a really tough experience with this book packager who was hired to help with this. And when I would get the, the next round of edits, very often only about 70% of my changes made it in. I would notice uh, that. How are you tracking So that? now oh what do I have to do? I have to take out both versions and I have to go through line by line. This is a 700 page book and compare each to see what got missed. missed. And I had to do this dozens of times. Uh, to the point where, like, my girlfriend at the time didn't believe me, and I showed her a couple pages, and she's like, I feel like a sixth grader would do a better job with this. Like, I can't believe you're having to go through this. You know, that book publisher and, is listening to this. Right? No, 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 and it wasn't the publisher's fault. <laughs> I mean, the, the packager. The, the packager, hey, look, I, just at least I'm yeah. not mentioning you by name. So, so you should thank your lucky stars for that, because it was a fucking disaster. And I found myself at one point, I'd committed to... Uh, so keep in mind, like, my job as a writer has become somewhat more complex as things have gone on. Because when I wrote the four-hour work week, that's all I really had to do. I mean, I was running there my company go. at the yeah. time, but it was a few hours a week. And now, to like the, four to be precise, and the and then the four-hour body, it's like, okay, now Tim's starting to do a lot of angel investing, make other commitments, advising, et cetera. Four Hour Chef. It's like okay, now the like the doors have been blown wide open. I have I'll like a hundred times more inbound than I did during the four hour week So I had made a commitment. This is getting to a story. Made a commitment to speak at some event in Southern California like a year before it actually showed up. It's funny how those come back and. Back and then the I'm <laughs> and, and so I I get back like fifty pages print it out, and I realized half the edits haven't been made. And at that point, I'm probably running on like four or five hours of sleep for a week. And now I have the speaking engagement to go to. And so I go down to, to Southern California. I do my speaking gig. That's fine. You know, I, 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 I put on a smiley face and get it done. And, you know, be a good soldier. Knock that out. Then I have to go back and basically pull an all-nighter to work on these edits. And I'm at this kind of run-down hotel the hotel room is tiny. It's just like the, the the desk isn't big enough for me to spread stuff out to work on the on the various spreads. So uh, uh, at that point too, I was still using kind of like ephedrine, caffeine, aspirin stuff to like keep the engines running, which is really horrible for you. It's so hard, bad buddy. for your adrenal system and everything, which makes you extremely grumpy. And so I'm like running on nothing except for like the ECA stack <laughs> and. I've just finished my speaking gig. It's like two in the morning and I'm working on all this stuff. And in the lobby, I remember very clearly the lobby in this hotel, really high ceilings and it was a run down kind of shoddy place. And the one light, there's one light on the ceiling that landed on one table and I was doing all my work and the light goes out. (laughs) And it's like 2.30 now and I'm just like, oh my God, I'm not even close to done. I'm like 40% there. Oh my God, God, okay. So I get up, and I walk in the length of the lobby, which is a pretty big lobby, a couple hundred feet to the front desk. And there's, like, one poor guy who's the, working the at 3 in the morning, the, the, the night guy. dude, yeah. And there's somebody checking in who's clearly, like, been traveling all day, really run down, not looking happy. Some, like, bedraggled traveling salesman or whatever getting checked in. And so I'm kind of, like, standing off to the side, like, 20 or 30 feet away. <laughs> I don't know why I'm telling this story. And... uh and the the guy, so the the guy who's getting checked in, the guest, I was like looking down at his phone. The 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 employee behind the counter looks at me and he's like, gives me this like yes sir kind of head nod hand wave, which the guy checking in didn't see. So I say, well, well actually there's just one problem. I'm I, I'm gonna have to pull in all that. I'm working on this thing. The light is out now. The guy getting checked in now looks up and he's like, who the fuck is this guy? And he goes, hey, hey. I'm like, yes. And he goes. Fuck you! <laughs> and I was just like, <sighs> I didn't know what to do. I was just like, I do I take do, do I kill this guy? Is like, this the devil? Like he doesn't look good at sprawling. <laughs> like should I should I just like fireman's carry him into the coffee table? And I didn't know what to do. And I was like, old Tim would have attacked this person. Like new Tim, hopefully, like needs TM, hadn't done it yet, would <laughs> would do something. And I didn't know what to do. So I went. Kissed him. And I just said, like, blew him a kiss. And I was like, I'm not going to attack him, but I hope he attacks me right now. Because I will, like, literally, <laughs> yeah. it will be, like, Discovery Channel, like, hyena tearing apart a carcass. <laughs> and uh, then that will be, like, the end of my career. Or who knows, start of a new career, maybe Charlie Sheen style. And so, uh, ultimately, the guy, like, was thrown off and didn't know to what to that? do. <laughs> and then the guy behind the counter is like, oh, shit, like, what do we do here? I don't know how to manage this. So I was like... And so I just walked back and, like, sat in the darkness <laughs> looking at this all this sad, undone. This is a sad, I, <laughs> sad scene. You asked about a struggle, did, so I, like, I just, like, sat in the darkness, like, trying to cool off. And I'm just like, let me let that guy leave so there's no homicide. And I'm just sitting there looking at all these, all this undone ho- homework and thinking to myself, like, never again will I do it this way. It's like, never again will I sign up to do this this way. And that's You haven't. Fun and i have it like and that's, that was you know 2000 late 2010 2011 book came out 2012 and um I'm very i'm very proud of the book but it's just like man that was kind of the last nail in the coffin with respect to how i relate to a lot of big business stuff and uh meaning meaning like having a publisher who owns Rights yeah. that inhibit your ability to do certain things with your own work.
1: That's one of the, my favorite things about this show. A long time ago, starting it up, just there's no rules. No one owns it. Like I could do whatever I want. Yeah. There's no like beholden to no one. Like you said, sponsor doesn't want to play. Like uh, okay, okay, goodbye. You're done.
0: <laughs> and now
1: that you know, you clearly have built yourself an amazing platform. So you, yeah. you've built
0: on some freedom in your own. Yeah, and world. the blog. You know, the blog. I have complete freedom. The and the podcast. So the podcast. It really was the first art project, which is really how I view it, yeah. in a long time for me. The first new art project where I could do whatever I wanted. People are like, I'm trying to listen to this with my kids, and you say the F-bomb. You need to clean up your language. I'm like, you need to find a new podcast. Sorry, like, this has to be fun for me, and I'm not going to censor myself to like suit the Mr. Rogers program. It's just like not, this is not how this works. How important is that for you? Uh, Freedom, artistic freedom. (sighs) Folks at home. So uh, the freedom is, uh, it's a tricky term. The, the ability, the ability to do whatever I want. Let me rephrase it. The ability to play in any way that I want. I enjoy Having certain constraints, however, I think is necessary for me to actualize my highest creative potential. What's the constraint you put Uh, yourself for the the podcast? So constraint could be, well, okay, you have an hour and a half. And if somebody can only do 30 minutes, you have 30 minutes. Uh, Constraints might be a form of training or practice. It's like, okay, for my first, say, 20 episodes, 30 episodes, they were mostly over the phone, why? Because I could have all of my notes in Evernote, I could have all my questions in front right, of me, right there. I could have a notebook for taking notes about things I wanted to come back to. You do that in person, it's not quite the same. It's very disruptive sometimes to do that. You know, if we're talking, I have a laptop here, <laughs> right. uh, It's it throws off the entire dynamics. So practicing, deciding, okay, the next 10 episodes are all gonna be in person. What are you gonna do? You're gonna have to change your method, you're gonna have to figure out a new approach. You're going to have to maybe memorize more or not memorize anything, depending on who you talk to, right? Like Neil Strauss does a a, a incredible amount of preparation for his Rolling Stone or New York Times interviews. Tons of review, tons of research, and then he folds it up and he never looks at it during the interview, right? Uh, So like testing different approaches. I might try his approach, then I might try someone else's approach. Uh, But constraints would be, for instance, uh, ensuring that I talk about there's something sensitive. It's not a gotcha show, but like, let's say there's a sensitive subject that I think will produce an answer or a story that'll be valuable to my listeners. Has to be valuable. For sure. Value is the key uh, takeaway. Right? How do I navigate the conversation and like ride the wave to get to that? That's a constraint. It's a requirement, right? It's weird. I do the same thing. And, what's, the, what's the one risky thing that I'm going to go to? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, so I know we're going to talk a lot about masturbation later. Um, the, 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 uh, or something like that, right? So it's kind of like write meow, like like super troopers, like yeah, so. Meow. So I decided I wanted to say masturbation, which I just did twice, and so I've checked that box. three times in, in this conversation. In three times, fantastic. We, there is a thing with threes. So, uh, but the with writing, for instance, just the form factor itself, it's like you have you have to use words, and in the four hour chef, I changed that and I allowed myself to use visuals, but I would enjoy going back to text only. It's like okay like a John McPhee, and like John McPhee is one of my favorite writers, M C P H E E, Pulitzer Prize winner, staff writer at the New Yorker, and where where someone else might resort to a bunch of different diagrams, his thinking and his writing is so precise and so beautifully elegant, it's just unnecessary. In fact it would detract because he's allowing the reader to create much higher resolution uh, impressive, meaning impressing on the memory uh, imagery than, the, than would otherwise be possible on a printed black and white page so it's like that would be a very strong constraint it's like no, you can't use visuals only hey. words right? or if I'm writing, sometimes I will notice that there's a word I use as a crutch, or a phrase that I use as a crutch, that having been said is one of my crutch phrases, that having been said, comma, blah 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 blah, blah. okay, you're not allowed to use it, not allowed uh dashes i'd like to use dashes oh god a, i love a dash oh they're mm. so nice i love a dash like m dashes yeah. i just love m dashes Woo. so it's like all right you're not allowed to oh. use dashes like you can't use dashes and you can't use parentheticals clean up your fucking writing you know it's like okay that would be another that would be another uh type of, of of parameter or well there's a million and yeah oh well, here's another one like that that i noticed through writing that i then used to try to change my speaking i noticed that i used pretty as an adverb oh that's pretty interesting Oh, yeah, 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 she's, she's pretty smart. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's pretty successful. And I was like, sloppy, Veris, so lazy. So what I forced myself to do when I was speaking is if I said pretty, because it would sometimes slip out, and I'd be like, ah. Oh. There it is again. I'd have to say fucking after that. So you'd be like, oh, yeah, she's pretty fucking interesting. <laughs> and uh after you do that like seven or ten times over like a two-hour dinner you're like all right all right your brain just like (laughs) cauterizes pretty right out (laughs) of the conversation Um, so i love positive constraints uh creative constraints uh because it's just like in dance for instance in tango uh to improve your technique you can take an arm away so it's like all right you're used to being here it's like what happens when you take this arm away you all these other components that you 're able to fudge because you had this crutch, now they now they 're yeah. glaring yeah. problems, or you take away this arm all right now you have to use your chest, you have to really change your signaling related to say the lead and, and la marca right so uh, I love those kind of constraints yeah
1: and they 're i think self imposed constraints with whatever sort of your medium is, whether it 's photography or design, or yeah. uh, I talked to Stefan Sagma, one of the top designers in the world about. Uh, an impetus. There's a there's a style for this. I don't remember what it's called. But oh, you got to solve a problem. Like you want to design a new drinking glass. Well, what is a what is the way that you can take some other unrelated object and you design a drinking glass through the lens of this thing, like a tennis shoe? Oh, what would a drinking glass look like? Mm-hmm. If you thought about as a tennis shoe, oh, it would it have a different kind of sole here in the bottom? Would it be mm-hmm. lifted? Or that's a constraint that can add fuel
0: to your creativity, actually.
1: I think that's a pretty
0: totally. powerful one. And I think that just using the tango example of like taking away an arm or the writing example of taking away a word or the podcast example of, uh, for instance, I've done this as well. Like everybody always asks this guest about this, this, and this. I'm not allowed to talk about any of those. Okay. Once y- you have You use a constraint to do more with less. Only then can you do more with more, Mm, I think. I like that. And uh, that's how I've approached it. Once you are really good at bleeding the stone with very little, then you can make use of all of your resources. But until then, I think it's just going to be a scattershot waste of energies sent in like one millimeter in a million different directions, as opposed to just like... You know, and being really good at picking your shots and using maximum leverage with all of your gifts, the way you do that is by taking these tiny components and be like, all right, I know you have these 100 things. I want you to do everything with this. That's it. That's all you're allowed. Um, and it's a fun exercise, too. I love that. was the original
1: uh, idea behind the iPhone for me as someone who was traveling all over the world with 100-person crews doing gigantic things. Like, what can I make with this one camera that's with me all the time?
0: Yeah, Which, yeah. And like... I'm doing that right now on the blog where I'm experimenting with uh, well for me shorter form stuff so it's like alright alright yeah you write 23 page long blog posts that are hopefully evergreen and get traffic for years and years and years but like what if you only have 500 words like mm. suck it up you don't have time to give your Pharesean preamble like no you're not allowed two pages to like say hello no like get to it cut to it uh, and that's, that's that's another exercise for me so get with this ninja shit I'm about to pull
1: here we're at 90 minutes, which is one of my constraints. Yeah. Uh, and But that being said, I want to just finish with a couple of rapid-fire questions. <laughs> so one is, if you could put a billboard up anywhere, where would you put it and what would it say?
0: I would put it... I would put it on a footpath outside of the largest college or university in the U.S., and it would say you're the average of the five people you associate with most. Yeah, that's the first that comes to mind.
1: And what's the book you've gifted (laughs) (laughs) the most? Uh, Not not bought for people or bought for yourself, or what's the book you've gifted the most?
0: Um, You know, that you you see how this is happening. Yeah, probably, I see where this is going. Yeah, the probably... uh, the Penguin Edition Letters from a Stoic, which is a collection of Seneca's Letters. I'm going to be making my own. Actually, I don't think I've even announced this, so... There we go. Exclusive. Nice. Um, I have, I've had original artwork and calligraphy done over about six months, uh, and I'll be putting out at some point an edition of Seneca's Letters that's illustrated, which is the artwork's amazing. Wow, it's so good.
1: When yeah. are we going to see this?
0: Uh, I'm not sure. I'm just kind of like, I want to do it right. Sure. Like, of I'm course not, you do. Yeah, so I'm not not in a rush right now, but it's gonna be it's gonna be good. Uh, so probably though, if if I was gifting it, letters from Stoic, uh, I just recently bought ten copies of The Baron and the Trees, that fiction book I was telling you about, mm-hmm. just to have at my house. So mm-hmm. when friends come over or visiting out of town, if they're looking for something to read, I'm going to give them that book. Um, Surely you must be joking Mr. Feynman about Richard Feynman, physicist, safecracker, bongo player, Nobel Prize winner. Amazing. I like that you threw bongo player in there. Oh, well, he's, he's a polymath, and he's a, he's, a, he's a playful trickster, but very smart and a genius teacher. Uh, so surely you must be joking. Mr. Feynman is, is definitely up. Those are the first few that come
1: to mind. What's a thing that people don't know about you that they'd be very surprised if they found out in this podcast? Very surprised. Very surprised. Maybe let's all put a constraint on it. Something that you like that no one would think that you'd like.
0: Something I like. Oh, yeah. that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, i trying to think of a surprise. Uh, Japanese antique saddles. Uh, <laughs> a, few, <laughs> a few years ago, I had a chance to go to Japan and study with the Ogasawara family, Yabusame, which is Japanese horseback archery. Uh, side note the, the, like the kind of uh, superstar of that family is a young guy, very, very handsome, super smart. And his jacket, which was like a cheesy kind of like 80s bowling jacket, like that shiny material yeah, with like the, sure. the, the, like the tapers the, down to the cuffs. The cuff. nylon cuffs. Yeah, the nylon cap. cuffs. Love but it. It. the back said, Ogasawara Yabusame, since 1157. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I want that jacket so badly. The point being, uh, when you are doing horseback archery, the saddle is not designed to be uh, sat upon. It is just hard wood. And it's an, it, the sole purpose of the saddle is to hold the stirrups. And then you basically are in a squat, like, let's just hovering, call it, hovering over the saddle, and that's when you like, pull off the arrows and shoot at these targets at full gallop, while no reins, like the, the, the horse is just let to let to sprint. And these saddles are gorgeous, as a result, because they're not covered, they're very, very minimalist. I mean, like you could pick it up with one hand like this, five to 10 pounds. And I have, uh, so that was, I think, the four-hour body. After the four-hour body, my promise to myself was when I finished, I would allow myself to buy something Japanese that is at least 100 years old at auction. And I don't buy a lot of artwork at all. And then I thought, I was like, well... I'd like to get some armor and I was looking at armor and swords and then I said, you know what? Actually, I'm I'm more interested in the saddles. I got
1: was at your house once and you had a teepee in the front room. Do you remember that?
0: Yeah, I do. I do still have a teepee. I have, a, I have yeah, like an. Is that, a, is that related eight. to the saddle? Is it a leather and wood thing? Or? No, no, no. It's like, I do like earth tones. <laughs> there you go. You do. Uh, but no, the, the, the Japanese saddles are gorgeous. So I have, cool. two, I have two of those. Uh, Beautiful.
1: Yeah. Anything else I should ask that I haven't before we go? Anything you should ask... <laughs>
0: Uh, nothing, mm-hmm. nothing immediately comes to mind. Um, we've covered some ground. We've covered a lot of ground. Uh, yeah, I would implore people to watch... So, so People talk a lot about commencement speeches, and uh, there are some great commencement speeches out there. But I suspect for a lot of people watching, yes, the Steve Jobs commencement at Stanford is fantastic. We've most, I think, in this certainly region of the world, have yep. seen... The commencement it's a very good speech but for people who are fighting the good fight with what anything they consider art and that's up to you to define i love but but whether it's a show like this whether it's creative live as a company whether it's writing and that just daily battle podcasting oil painting anything dance doesn't matter uh, my favorite commencement speech is Make Good Art by Neil Gaiman. Amazing speech. Which is, I try to watch at least once a week. It's amazing. And it's spoken also and delivered from someone who walks the walk. Just Dude, a it. master of many crafts, who is just incredibly gifted, incredibly warm. I had the chance to meet him very briefly here at the Castro Theater. He did a nice, did a, a, a live performance performance. Uh, just an incredible human being. And uh, I would I would part I suppose on on that note. That's and awesome. i suggest agree. everybody check that out and uh everybody. Yeah, if they like podcasts, I also have one of those. Tim yeah Ferris Show.
1: Good. Definitely. Anything else, any other coordinates? You're basically slash T Ferris
0: with two R's, two S's. Yep. Uh yeah, so at T Ferris on Twitter. Uh four hour work week. Snapchatting? I'm not Snapchatting what? yet. I what? might eventually. Yeah, you should. I have it's fun. Little, I have a little bit of social media fatigue. Um, I'm Instagramming. Uh,
1: You're picking your nose. Move your finger.
0: There we go. <laughs> it does look like I have... <laughs> no, I look weird. Sorry for those folks. There we know. go. We're Snapchatting. So, uh, yeah, at T Ferris on Twitter. And then Facebook is Tim Varis, two R's, two S's. Instagram, Tim Varis, two R's, 2ss S's. But uh, I think if you really want to... Dig deep. Uh, currently, what I'm putting the most energy into is the podcast and the blog. Super fun. Yeah. Super fun. Thanks, bud. Yeah, man. Thanks, sir. All right. Hey, guys. This is Tim again. Just a few more things before you take off.